Welcome back to the 81st episode of the Cast, the number one film and pop culture podcast in the hearts and minds of all Americans, as far as I know. Uh, I'm Steve Cuff, as always, and Gargling Ice, it sounds like, is Sean Glynnis. Hello. How'd you know it was me? I, because you're, you're most likely to have a cocktail. <laughs> you voted that. Uh, what are you drinking? I, I'm drinking old-fashioned, but... Um... I was thinking, you said that uh, we're the number one uh, arts and entertainment podcast or whatever. Are there other... In the hearts and minds. Yes. Of people. Oh, are there others just generally? No, we're actually the only podcast with a bunch of guys in their 30s talking about movies. So I, I don't know if you know that or not. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. I'm glad to, Jake, how you glad doing? to be on board. <laughs> doing great, Steve. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. I uh, I just got back from work and I was bartending and, and some guy kept ordering a really stupid drink mm. and I kept giving him shit over how dumb his drink order was and uh, he ended up tipping me $100 for three <laughs> wow. stupid drinks. Do you know what he ordered, Sean? This is going to make you actually throw up in your mouth, oh, so I'm excited no. to tell you. Okay. A new fashion? So... Uh, no, no, it was so it was it's a Manhattan. That's it. So it was Knob Creek Rye, Sweet Vermouth, Bitters. But then oh boy, he wanted oh no. creme de banana oh added no. to his. What the fuck? I know an absolute monster, which is I let him know that. But he, apparently he, he was amused by my constant did you, berating. Did you like so. garnish it with like runts banana? No, I garnished it with a scowl. That was that was about it. <laughs> Myros, how you doing today? Uh, uh, a little, a little allergic to the the nice spring weather. Yeah, fuck this shit, man. It's stupid. All it is, like, there's no, there's no spring, there's no summer. There's uh, only in the Midwest. Guys. There's winter and there's allergies and cold, and that's it. Everything is trash. I have spent the weekend sitting in the sun, reading and eating tacos and having drinks, and it's been great. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Listen, some of us can't live your bougie lifestyle because we got this thing called hay fever, the true oppressor of the working class. So It's a fucking yeah. nightmare. It's like, oh, it's nice out. I'll go outside. Then it's like 15 minutes later. It's like, oh. fuck, why did I go outside? I'm fully sequestered to the apartment. The outside world does not exist. I refuse. I refuse. Uh, the, I mean, the only thing that I've been going out for is seeing movies, which is great because now we get to play the, the movie song, which, Myros, could you put that right here? And sure. Oh, so good. So good. I feel like it's been weeks since I've heard it. Jake, do you want to hear it one more time? I know how much you like it. I'd love to hear it at least one more time. Oh, thank you, Jake. I'm glad. Go ahead, Myros. Put it in right there. Okay. So good. We got to release an extended dance remix of that. That would assume that we had any intellectual rights to such a song. <laughs> we, don't. We, have, we have squatters' rights on that song. That's a real thing. Oh. Anyways, uh, we, we went to the movies and. 
we we saw some shit. Let me tell you, but we we saw some good stuff too. And the thing that I'm most excited about is the latest entry in the MCU. That's the Ma Cinematic Universe <laughs> featuring Mama, Mother, Flesh Eating Mothers, Mother's Day, and probably a few others that I'm forgetting. Mother. You know how these, these cinematic universes are. I said Mother. Oh. Mother was on there. There's at least, well, there's Mother. There's, yeah. Aronofsky. Mother. Oh, and there's, yeah, and there's just Mother. And the other one is with the exclamation point, and you don't capitalize the M. Don't forget that. Right. Which had to be really hard for anybody that is tweeting about films and they have to capitalize all the letters in the movie because technically, like if you're doing that, then do you leave the M well, and mother I think we, lowercase and put the- we, we went through this in the 90s on film Twitter when Jane Austen's Mafia came out. And uh, yeah, that's right. all lowercase and uh, uh, exclamation point uh, after Jane Austen. So I think we were pretty prepared as a whole for mother. You're right. Thank well, God. I, I really Twitter underestimated. Really, that, that predates Twitter, though, Sean. That was the joke, Byros. No, but no Twitter, Twitter's... Oh, yeah. yeah. It's good. <laughs> you know, Sean, he, uh, Sean just teased him up. Allergies. <laughs> yeah. I think it's your brain rot from some of the other stuff we watched this week. That could uh, be. I've, Byros I've is only, too busy. See, uh, that doesn't make sense to me because I've only gotten stronger. Uh, my, my brain capacity keeps rising... Uh, multiple percentages with each of these movies that I've watched. <laughs> Soon you have kind of like Lucy, Lucy using, yeah, <laughs> wow, you beat me to it. Myros was, he's too busy for social media these days, but he, he was posting hard on the, on the chud.com message boards back in the early 2000s, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, where, a young, yeah, where a young Devin Farachi was cutting his teeth. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I can't dispute any of this. <laughs> All right. So, Ma, I. this is kind of a weird one because I, I had very low expectations, but it, it really exceeded those. And for me, and I can't speak for all of you guys, but this was my first multiplex uh, dick shaft sighting in a film in 2019. Was, was that the same with you guys? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, probably. It looked awful fake, though, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, it was. It, it was kind of a. Was. Uh, it had to be a stunt. Yeah. You, so you guys which, didn't see Antichrist in cinema? Well, <laughs> not not in 2019. Not in 2019. Oh, oh, you're was that about, a stunt, Dick? Uh, I didn't know you meant uh, for the year. Sorry. Yeah, just just for 2019. We we love our Shaft in films, so I, I go out to see. The only movie I want to see is the actual Shaft movie. Which, <laughs> uh, I, I was gonna see it for free or for a discounted rate. However, it seems to be gone from the theaters completely so that's one that'll i don't know one that'll probably crop up on some sort of streaming service but holy shit that was gone real quick uh, and i wonder if it had anything to do with their aggressive <laughs> memeing campaign <laughs> which was amazing like okay so you have this character shaft who's supposed to be super you know cool and when the original shaft came out it was just like wow you know here's this black exploitation character that he's he's so cool and everybody wants to be him and he's just helping this subgenre totally just take off and and hit the mainstream and then this new shaft comes out and he's just like yo what if i was just a baby boomer and not cool at all see and, uh, yeah uh Kref, i think that you're i i know why you didn't go see this and you you seem a little bit shaft phobic 
because you're exactly the kind of person that Shaft would poke fun at. It may be, you know, you, you don't want to be the butt of his <laughs> joke, but you don't want to pay to go see the movie. You just want it all to come to you for free. You just want everything on a silver platter because that's been your whole life. Right. Well, and and thankfully, Sean, uh, if I do need someone yelling about my avocado toast consumption, uh, I, I really that's everywhere. It's especially on Facebook. So yeah, it's like Shaft used to be cool, like, and now he's just a Facebook boomer dad just posting shit from Infowars. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I kind of want to go see it now to see like um, how much it really is like Facebook the movie. Like it, it really is the real social network. absolutely uh well aside from that great shaft not not the movie shaft but the actual (laughs) dip shaft that i respect how much did you guys enjoy ma was it for me it wasn't like overwhelmingly great but it was something i i it just had a good time with it's every bloomhouse movie ever ever released where i just go in i have no expectations and it is just completely worth my time yeah, I had a really fun time with Ma. Uh, Octavia Spencer kills it. I think it's great when they reel in a, a big Oscar-winning actress just to kind of go hog wild and have some fun in a genre film, which really is the Bloomhouse model is let's make something nice in 90 minutes and quick and cheap, and uh, it'll make a lot of money and people will enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I had a really good time with Ma. Yeah. Octavia Spencer is amazing in this, and I just love how the guy who made the help this is this is his big movie right now like how the fuck did he fall into this it doesn't make any sense and it also explains why it works really well as a genre film but as far as how well it deals with the clear like racial issues in the movie it it just it does it has no teeth at all uh Mm. none i um yeah the rest of it is is weird and and sort of a afterthought um but it's also a part that i've kind of forgotten about uh but you know when the trailer for ma dropped i remember being excited i've waited a long time it feels like for octavia spencer to do something else uh she's always octavia spencer in like these shitty prestige movies um doing performances that you can't i i couldn't even call good like stuff like shape of water yeah. Uh, lest we remember that movie exists, uh, and but she's always playing the same character. So when I saw the trailer, I was really excited, um, and going to see it, I I I had a ball with it. Like she really does go all out, and and I think her performance is one of the best performances I've seen this year. Uh, it obviously won't get that kind of attention because it's not this type of movie is not taken seriously but um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was so fun and um, weird Uh, the the, like teens are like not annoying they're just like the most blank slate teens which I much prefer to like the idiots that we get in a lot of other movies about teens uh they're just sort of like blank slate like faceless idiot they're not like disney movie stars or anything like that um it's sort of that in between like between the shitty like jokey gags all the time and then like truth or dare where it's just like the best case scenario of like teens and early 20 year olds being like really mean to each other um but, Sean, I, I I disagree. I only like teens in movies when they're just constantly dabbing <laughs> and 
talking about how much they love doing anal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. These are very unrealistic so this, teenagers to me. This is a good counterpoint that you bring up. With I assume you're you're uh, subtextually referring to Booksmart. I don't know, but that's what that's what that makes me think of. Which is like, um, I I thought it was really bad, but it was kind of like being stuck in a in a basement party with theater kids, and you like there's no way out, and you can't wake up from the nightmare. Um, and this is like not that at all, which is nice. Although it is a basement party, but it's the type of basement party you want to stay at, because uh, Ma, yeah, Ma, that's the kind of <laughs> Ma keeps it cool, and she like you know keeps everything on hand that you need. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, great playlist. She'll keep your jewelry yeah, pizza safe. Rolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pizza rolls. I, I was surprised at the audacity of some of the teens though when they were like, "Oh, thanks for buying us booze and giving us a place to party." Also, can you give us pizza rolls? Like, it's such a, you guys are pushing the fucking envelope. Here. It's such a great concept for a movie. Like, it's so simple and stupid. Like, but also like relatable in this way of just like. It's somebody who will buy them alcohol and throw them a party. Like that's that's the movie, and Bloomhouse made like a good movie out of it. Uh, and we talked about like these Into the Dark Hulu movies, which are like some of them are very kind of like high concept, and they just don't work at all. It's just like this is this is the type of movie I want Bloomhouse to make. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. certainly low concept. Uh, it is. I'm sure, Steve. I'm sure you've seen this movie, but this movie, Ma reminded me tremendously of a little 80s slasher called slaughter high oh yeah that's a good one it has a really similar uh plot where i mean obviously it doesn't involve like generational violence in the same way i guess but it is uh it's definitely it's got the same thing where it's just like a high school reunion and someone they bullied is is attempting to meet revenge upon them and it's Oddly similar. Yeah, Ma would fit right in in the mid-80s. Where it's just a trashy... Yeah. Uh, Ma ...slasher movie, except with some elevated performances uh, from Octavia Spencer. Uh, but in general, I mean, I think we'll say, at least I will, about just about everything we talk about in this podcast. It's, I'm not sure if it's good. <laughs> I, I think Ma is kind of... Uh, poorly made in many ways uh, doesn't surprise me it's the director of the help I, I think that um, a lot of the party scenes are, are just very flat and very repetitive uh, and it really doesn't kind of get into gear until the third act but that, that third act's a doozy I had a lot of fun with this one too I, I don't mean to be yeah. critical of it I'm just not sure I, no, not I, think, I think that's a good way to put it it's just, I, I think it's a lot of great performances and some really good performances that more on the periphery of the film and a fairly solid script although i would say towards the end where it just kind of turns into uh, you know not to spoil it too much but it just kind of it, it reaches a crescendo and that's like okay here's the you know torturey violent part where the movie was just sort of bubbling at the surface of that for most of its runtime uh but it's solid script it's just desperately in search of a director who isn't the guy that made the help. So I think fuck um, that guy. I don't think it's like a uh, like a well made movie or anything or like a refined piece of craftsmanship. But I really like the shots that Tate Taylor does of Octavia Spencer's face, where he gives her like 
um, he positions her usually in like the left or right, like a uh, third of the frame and just like lets her like do this face acting um, and this close-ups. And I, I think it works really well. Um, just like little stuff like that. I, beyond that, it's kind of whatever, just like sort of journeyman stuff. But I think the big thing for me, besides the performances and the low concept that we've already talked about, it keeps things moving. It doesn't do this like shitty, like routine stuff that like, again, can happen so often with kids movies or not kids movies, but movies about teens. <laughs> Mom, my favorite yeah. kids movie. Yeah. Uh, movies about teens where it can just get stuck in like routine or like, um, kids having like issues between them like it can just go down sort of these like annoying like rote um avenues it doesn't do that and then also the big thing is that she goes further than i expected um i know i saw it with sophie and she thought that she wanted to go a little bit further but i wasn't expecting stuff like the stuff that uh, happens between her and luke evans and stuff between her and a policeman like there's just some good stuff and, and and there's stuff in that that very end with her and the kids that i was just kind of like uh pretty pretty shocked at oh uh, see i th- that segment didn't really work that great for me the uh where it tries to go into torture porn territory sort of but it, mm-hmm. it just something about it it didn't again i'm not even necessarily that critical of the direction i, I do agree with with some of your your statements about the, the close-ups but i think that a lot of it, it to me is it's not directed by a, someone who's steeped in the genre sure. uh, and you can tell that and a lot of that stuff where she's got the kids strapped up and it just felt really fake to me like really sort of performative like oh no i'm gonna stitch you up and i, I was just like yeah the stuff with with luke evans worked a lot better for me yeah well and it made more sense too because clearly Luke Evans was the source of a lot of trauma for her. Yeah, yeah. like so painting, the like kids painting. are just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like when she slaps white paint on the the black kid, I'm just like, okay, I I get it. We, we that was great too because the black kid didn't like. She had like a reason for each of the other kids, and then with him, <laughs> she was just like, ah, there's only room for one of us. She just slathers him in white paint. Yeah, I, I cracked up at that, but it's like ah, it doesn't really fit, but it's funny. I do think the film, it's it feels like a very soft R to me. Like, it could have almost been a PG-13 film with a few director's cut edits. Like, I'm glad we got full dong, and I was actually, uh, I think Adam may have mentioned this off mic, that I actually believe we were going to get an actual penis severing, which would have been great. Yeah. I think it should have gone the full Monty, but um, the torture stuff doesn't really work except for the iron on the torso. That is really fucked up, because the irons are hot. Um, but <laughs> you heard it here first, yeah. folks. Irons are hot, man. I don't know. Have you ever been burned by an iron? It is excruciating. It's not fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's aside from uh, Octavia, it, the, real, the film really just kind of rests on her shoulders because I think the, the direction is similarly very flat and not much imagination. It's just, you know, it's it's not necessarily guided by somebody who's a skilled visual artist, but I don't think that's necessarily what Bloomhouse requires for this sort of project it's just uh it's all in the it's all in the name and the title it's ma's movie so i you know they nailed ma which is excellent yeah but, yeah uh, I, I concur entirely i think to me it's it's not that it didn't go far enough it's just maybe when it, it that second act is a little bit like okay when's this gonna <laughs> when's this gonna get going yeah stuff doesn't happen for the longest time there's a lot of 
a lot of mobbing on social media, which is an aspect I really like. I like that she Facebook stalks the kids, which is totally credible. Um, but yeah, a lot of it's kind of just held off for the last minutes of the film. And then it's, it's mm -hmm. just... Uh, yeah, there's there's a period in there where like the, the sassy sidekick girl decides that they all need to block by and they like publicly send her a message accidentally about blocking her. And then that spirals into this like fake cancer thing. And at that point in the movie, I'm like, all right, let's let's move along here. We, let's move forward. She's mm -hmm. been blocked. This is the time to, to make her into a horror villain. And it, it took another 15, 20 minutes to really get there. And it got there. And when it got there, maybe that delay uh, made it all the more satisfying because I was satisfied. But uh, yeah, there were there were periods of this movie where I'm like, all right, get on with it. <laughs> where does it where does it rank for you guys in, in the Moss Cinematic Universe in the MCU? Because for me, I it's gotta be number one, right? Yes. So you got Mama, which is utterly forgettable, just trash uh supernatural horror. You've got Mother Exclamation Point, lowercase M, which is just like Edge Lord, Masturbation Fest, also the environment's important. Um, I guess Mother's Day, pretty bog standard slasher from the 80s. Flesh Eating Mothers, that one gives it a run for its money. I think that's super underrated. Uh, but yeah, it's it's probably you know, a toss up between flesh eating mothers and and mob for me. Another movie that this is it might usefully um, yield conversation or dialogue between is uh, Greta of this year, which um, you know both about these uh, women uh, above the age of middle age or in middle age um, going kind of crazy or uh, preying on younger people uh, to have their, their way with them. I thought that uh, I, I wouldn't have expected this, but I thought I thought Ma was much more uh, cohesive and um, enjoyable. Not that I thought Greta was bad, but just like, um, I don't know, missing pieces. But uh, did you guys see Greta or did you have any thoughts about the two? I did not see Greta. I'm sorry I haven't say. seen it either. Jesus Christ. Nope, me neither. Me oh, neither. No, I don't give a shit about movies that, about some sort of art film. No. Yeah. Art film <laughs> and girls. Yuck. It's Neil Jordan art film. <laughs> I I only watch <laughs> Avengers films. Sean. I, I thought I thought at least one or two of you had seen Greta. Well, I think that um No, you know what I do? I, I use my infinity gauntlet and I snap your pretentious art films out of existence. It's, not, it's like <laughs> it's it's literally just like uh, Isabel Huppert, like. Oh, listen. That's not an art. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> Why don't you call her Hoopert? This is America. Uh, it's just like about her in an English-speaking film. Uh, it's about her like seducing uh, a new uh, young woman into her life, and like, like it's just like Ma, but um, it. It just is is a different movie that I think is is a little sloppier, but it's going for it's going for laughs more than Ma is um, definitely. But uh, I don't know. I think that you guys would at least enjoy it for a hundred minutes or whatever. Uh, Sean, would you say that uh, Ma does for underage basement <laughs> parties what Psycho did for showers? <laughs> I would say Ma is kind of like. Um, 
kill list, uh, but with moms. <laughs> but with moms. That makes that makes sense. There's the poll quote. IndieWire.com, publish us. All right, yeah, like, yeah, Ma is, it's definitely a movie. Obviously, I don't think you're going to be able to catch it in the theater now, but... It'll be out before you know gonna, it. Yeah, it'll be out before you know it. Blue Mouse turns these things around pretty quick, so definitely check it out. It, it's worth your time. It's fun. It's uh, it's just it's a breezy ride, man. But hey, we talked a little bit about the you know the man who directed the help, which I I just keep calling him that because his filmmaking is often so forgettable for me that I can't be bothered to actually learn his name. Uh, I should tell you Steve, direct- quickly because you might be interested in this. Uh, Tate yeah. Taylor, who is um, I believe very close friends with Octavia Spencer, uh, he lives on a antebellum plantation that he owns that's kind of weird yeah does he does he know what what happened there <laughs> you think should we tell him or just kind of like leave him in the dark about uh, it he made the help he knows everything about, he, he knows everything about yeah. race in america yeah yeah he invented race in america okay so let, yeah let's talk about a director who uh, you know he's a little bit different he's a guy from europe and <laughs> Obviously, stylistically, he's making different movies. But the thing you need to know about this guy, Luke Besson is the man I'm talking about, is really he just he just shares a lot of core values with Sean Glynnis. Oh, and I think I mean, if you want to say that we're both professionals, yeah, I'll give you that. That that was just a movie he made. Sean. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that's not his value, Sean. Clearly. Dude, okay, so Luke Besson, colossal pile of, of shit human. Um, allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. Well, no, I can still say he's a pile of shit human for different reasons, but he's he was credibly accused of raping, like, nine women. I think or I think nine women have come out and said that he was... Uh, There's a spectrum of gross. things, but yes. Yeah, in, to them in some way, and I believe one woman specifically said, yeah, he raped me. Uh, so he's a disgusting piece of shit, allegedly. One thing that he that we don't have to say allegedly about, which is pretty cool, so we can't get sued about this. Santa uh, rules. Luke is a straight up motherfucking pedophile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we could say that. So in case you don't know, Luke Besson has been married about like thirty-seven times, but his second wife, uh, he met her when he was like thirty and she was twelve. So classic, classic age range there. And then they started dating when she was 15 and he was whatever. Mm. And then after that, he ended up marrying her she was pregnant, because right? she became pregnant with, with his child. So Luke Besson, straight up fucking pedophile, literally groomed a young actress from the age of 12, started dating her, got her pregnant and then married her. And then, because he's such a great stand-up fucking guy, when he was making The Fifth Element, which, no, that movie's not good. Stop saying that. Just stop it, you fucking nerds. It's not a good movie. It's just Mila Jovovich covered in toilet paper running around. Uh, When he was making that movie, he got such an old man boner for Mila Jovovich, who was 20, so a little old for his taste, that... And his wife at the time, the child bride was actually cast in The Fifth Element in a smaller role. But he met Mila Jovovich on the set of The Fifth Element and was just like, Oh, mon chéri, you will be mine! And he dumped his wife for Mila Jovovich. So that's who he ended up marrying. For the record, he was 32 when she was 15. 
Oh, my bad. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, you didn't. That's... It's okay. You didn't have the age, but I, I wanted to put that out there just in case <laughs> people weren't sure how disgusting this was. Yeah, it's super gross. It's about the grossest thing you can do. Yeah. And then, you know, there's this long list of super gross men making movies still. And I don't understand how the fuck is anybody letting Luke Besson do anything? Like, well, when's the last time he made like, a hit movie? <laughs> yeah, so he makes uh, well, Nikita or whatever, which is pretty successful for what it is. He makes Leon the Professional, which is fairly successful. That's his big one. Fifth Element, I don't, I, I think it's kind of like a cult classic now, but Chris Tucker could fuck off and it's a terrible movie. I think it, it also lost a tremendous amount of money. It lost a tremendous amount of money. He made that Valerian movie that like weebs are super well, into, but nobody here, saw that. Here's, here's why, because he Valerian? made Lucy. Jesus Christ. Lucy was made on a budget of 40 million and it made 463 million worldwide. Jesus. Who the fuck? How, that well, wasn't a hit in America. Where the fuck did it make all listen this? Listen to this. Uh, Valerian yeah. and the City of a Thousand Planets. Uh, budget $177 million. Insane. Jesus. It's all on screen, too. Um, yeah. I, I doubt Dan DeHaan takes that much home. But uh, f- domestically, $41 million, which is like not bad numbers when you don't know what the budget is. Foreign, $184 million. Who is, is there like an international pedophile ring? Just, <laughs> just they buy keep fucking going. group tickets? They, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like when, when mega churches make anti-abortion right. movies and they buy up all the tickets in the theater. <laughs> uh, Lucy but made uh, $126 million in the U.S., which tripled its budget alone in the States. Oh, wow. That's that surprising. fucking but, insane to me. But it is, uh, that seems like, if you told me that Lucy made $100 million, I'd be like, okay. If you say $400, I'm like, what the fuck is happening in this So, world? how much did Lucy make? internationally 463 million <laughs> yeah yeah uh, how, what is this is there like a chinese loop beside okay so so uh i i wondered if anna was going to make i asked this question uh elsewhere earlier in the week asked if anna was going to make money overseas um and somebody said they didn't think so but uh, this tells me that it's going to but um it's really it it's like um Funny, like, trying, like, this shows you how little, like, quote unquote, protesting these movies will do. Like, yeah, go ahead. Don't go see the Luke Besson movie because he's a terrible person. Guess mm-hmm. what? Like, China is going to make sure he makes another movie or wherever these movies are, like, doing gangbusters. This I is, wonder this if is what's going to happen. I, Bright I, 2 is going to be, like, written by Max Landis and directed by Luke <laughs> Besson and make. Three billion in China because the world is fucked and completely stupid. So we got to get into this movie beyond Luke Besson because this movie it, is Luke Besson. This I is know, like, but that's this the most is his ethos thing. put to screen. It is literally <laughs> if Woody Allen was like, I got to rehab my image, guys. Uh, my next movie is going to be fucking Lolita. It's like, <laughs> what, what the hell is no, happening? Woody, Woody Allen does a shot-for-shot shot remake of uh, Louis C.K.'s "I Love You, Daddy." <laughs> 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 so uh, who is financing like how why je, je t'aime papa <laughs> I je t'aime papa I will say so if we want to get into the text as uh, my roast does I will say the, the opening like 20 minutes of this movie is like the most fun I've had in cinemas like since I don't know the I, opening I, I, five minutes is fucking crazy yeah it, it's it's so awesome like the 
the fashion shooting and like the the 90s like um the 90s like anthem needle drops that come on like pump up the jams type stuff it's so weird and like just like just out of its mind um is that that he's clearly every actor go for like every actor in that segment has like their own distinct weird accent uh, like yeah. I guess that's how he's getting this international audience he's casting a bunch of international actors or something because this whole thing is like it's so stilted and strange and well, like, I told, well I told you uh, so I leaned over to Myros like during that and I was I was convinced that Luke Besson was going like full Joe D'Amato and just having like just having like people basic like stick figures of characters go up to each other and say lines while he just like shoots the shit out of them yeah, I was I was suggesting that they ought to do uh, yeah like a full Italian dub so that they could put people without insane accents just overdub uh, basic englishmen over all these people for our <laughs> audience and then overdub uh, some foreign language for the overseas because th- this whole thing is like what what is going on <laughs> oh it's it's insane and the best part is too is it's just fucking pedal to the floor all out insanity it just from the beginning and my favorite part is it, it quickly establishes that Luke Besson does not understand or really care about the concept of time in any way shape or form uh, so the, oh. the two things that this movie does that are totally unnecessary and also hilarious because every time th- these things would happen I would just fucking crack up one <laughs> there are no joke I bet there are 30 different like just uh, like screen card like time jumps where it's like six months later three months earlier five years earlier yeah, there's got to be at least like 12 for real though like, yeah yeah and there is no reason at all that it needs this sort of like non-linear nonsense that he calls out every fucking so, five minutes so you say, you say well, that, I yeah go ahead it, it's, it almost yeah. seems unnecessary sorry to interrupt because the, the I want to bring up the first one so the op- the very first thing in the movie is a title card that says Moscow 1985 and then about like a dozen sleeper agents are killed in the field Ma, Killian Scott. Murphy gets Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box uh, and then it cuts to the next title card which says five years later and then it cuts to another time c- title card that says Moscow 1990 as if people couldn't have assumed it was 1990 because it said 1985 in the first card yeah, and it was five years later. Yeah, well, Jay, it, you it's might not nuts. assume it's 1990 because there's all sorts of like fucking USB keys floating around. No, that's the yeah. best part. There is okay, so he is he is obsessed with the okay. So it's it's the 90s. This is the 90s, very 90s, and then every and I, and this is not some like cinema sins nonsense where it's just like oh it's the 90s, but that's a 2001 Alfa Romero that he's driving. It's not any bullshit like that. It's just like clear shit where you're like this is not the fucking 90s like and there's no reason that it has to take place in this time period if you were to tell me that this movie you know it takes place in the year 2019 i'd be like fucking fine that's okay there's no reason for any of this but it's just like yeah oh here's uh where every hotel room there's not like metal keys they're the fucking plastic scan cards there's usb keys uh she's fucking hd skyping with motherfuckers it's insane and yet it doesn't it doesn't make any fucking sense and yet it doesn't matter Uh, You said that um, you don't think he cares about time. I would uh, go the other way and say that he cares so much about time. He cares a lot about time. He cares so much about time. 
this is this is what um, my read on on Anna, or like why I thought it was just like a, a laugh a minute, like so fun, um, is that it's just like completely laying bare Luc Besson, his cinematic base desires to like just do whatever the shit he wants just for like pure cosmetic pleasure like we'll get into like the actual like reading of the character and all that later but just on like a formal level like I found this movie like so interesting and fun and stupid at the same time that it was a blast yeah I I I will say (laughs) As bad as the sexual politics are, and as dumb as this movie is, it, it was fucking cracking me up. I, I didn't I didn't not enjoy my time in the theater. Uh, it, it did get a little exhausting. Uh, it's, thankfully, it, it kicks things up a notch at the very end, in like the last ten minutes, where you're just like, "What in the holy fuck is this doing?" Uh, but there's a whole lull in the middle where you're just like, "Oh my god, where is this going, and why is it continuing to go?" Yeah, the whole thing's a good 20 minutes too long, I would say, which is what kept me from enjoying it overall. I was not as, as big a fan as Adam and Sean were. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a fan of the audacity of this film to exist and do what it does. Yeah, the actual yeah. like the actual film that was playing on the screen in front of me almost had no bearing on my enjoyment of it. I was just, the whole time I was going, what in the fuck is going on? Like, how, how does this exist how did he think this was an okay thing to make? Like, did, oh, God. Well, and, he, and he made it, and then no one said, hey, you want to change any of this? Or you want to think about this at all? Hey, Nobody said anything. When you got those China dollars coming in, who who cares? Like, you just give this guy carte blanche <laughs> if you're, like, just a fucking money-grubbing studio whore. But, uh... Well, this, is, this is the man's entire career, though, because... If you if you go back through the years, like even before, I, I think the 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 sexual assault stuff broke in like late 2017 or 2018. Um, nobody has ever challenged him on his bullshit. Like he had a fucking child bride. He impregnated a child. He is a fucking pedophile. And every interview you read with him uh, before the uh, the more recent allegations came out. Nobody even addresses it. No one cares. And people are like, oh, wow, it's it's kind of weird that in the director's cut of Leon the Professional, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Natalie Portman really wants to make out with him in a cut scene. It's like, yeah, it's real fucking weird that literally Leon the Professional, the international version, the U.S. version, the only difference is the U.S. version was the distributor said, hey, maybe cut out some of the pedophilia, you know, because that's that good. Uh, well, how is there not a? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on like how much money Lucy made. How is there not a Lucy two? A two C? Well, I mean Anna is kind of Lucy two. Well, probably Scarlett Johansson was like, "Fuck yourself." I guess where can Although, you go? She, like, she's got a long history of not caring about working with garbage men. So I, I mean, I, I don't know if she cares that much. Well, maybe she was just like, "Fuck yourself," because this is a dumb as fuck movie, and I don't want to do any more of it. It is. It, it uh, probably no, like, regardless so of how much money Marvel it made. Movies. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. too. Hey, that's, I, would chalk up the, I would chalk up the success to Lucy to uh, Scarlet's star power. Yeah, I think right. more people went to see it for her than they were seeing a new Luke Bazan joint. I don't. Yeah. I, so what? Well, I, I don't think that people overseas, wherever this is, I presume it's China, are going. Give me the new Bazan joint. I think they're going because the, he makes something that they like. 
uh, I don't think there's some sort of like auteur attraction, but like, uh, what's the draw with Valerian? That's just like pure, probably sensorial, just like eat that shit up. It's just so wild looking and imaginative. Yeah, I, I guess he sort of fits in. I'm assuming most of this money is coming from China. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. So using that as a lens to sort of figure this all out, if you look at money or movies that made a shitload of money in China that didn't do any money really like domestically in the U.S., they're all these kind of high concept action films. Warcraft. Um, Warcraft that are kind of shitty. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Warcraft. There's one, but yeah. uh, Pacific Rim one... or something. Well, that made money I... here, didn't it? The uh, second one? I don't know. Oh, maybe the second one. Yeah, I think the first one barely broke even, but or it, it's likely it did well overseas. I have some foreign numbers. Battleship. Uh, I don't know. Lucy in China did forty four million alone huh. in China, and in France did forty three million. Where wow. the song is from. That's... So it is. It's those Bassan. Oh, okay, here we yeah. go. I didn't even yeah. think like the French theater audience had that level of impact on the number. Who knew? Yeah, that's like every person in France went to see it. Yeah. It's like the Gone with the Wind of France. He's the he's well, the French Tarantino. Uh, you know who cares less about um, people having child brides? Who's that? Uh, probably a lot of Europe. Yeah, probably that's true. Yeah, where Woody Allen's been working? You mean? <laughs> Hey, it's called a rainy day in New York, not a rainy day in Spain. He's, that's correct. He's, he's right. He's right. I'm still waiting for Ching Chong matinee. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So, all right. So Anna, the base plot of this is, I I almost want to say <laughs> it's La, it's Lefem Nikita, but he was like, okay, so Lefem Nikita. But I want it to be dumber than Lucy. But it's also Atomic Blonde, too. It's also yeah, Red, Sparrow, Red Sparrow. But if, yeah. it, if it wasn't like watching paint dry. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that's where this movie kind of, st- if it stumbles, I think it, it's a modern masterpiece, personally. But uh, if, <laughs> if you could describe it as stumbling, it's probably when it goes into like that Red Sparrow mode of like, oh, we better, we better investigate our hardened past. It's like, let's not. <laughs> Yeah, I don't give a fuck about our hardened past. But yeah, can, and that shit's horrible. Can we? Can we? Okay, we got. We got to explain. Explain what this movie is, Sean. Give, give me the. Give me oh, the no. fucking the elevator pitch of what the fuck Anna is. Anna is. Oh God, it's it's very convoluted, as you can probably tell. But um, it's about a woman who was scouted to be a supermodel in russia i think and then she's gets into being a spy and you don't know which side she ends up or like she's kind of like bouncing between sides like doubling back and depending on which reel you're on but uh she's basically like an undercover spy and just kind of globe trotting and time hopping uh through europe and russia primarily uh, and Helen Mirren uh, plays like what's a good analog for is it like Q or Money Penny? which one is better she'd be her M her uh, boss yeah so and she's sort of like holding it down and sort of like giving her uh, direction and stuff and then you got Luke Evans um, as like is he in a 
no he's also russian um he's he's like above her a little bit but sort of a colleague and then you got cillian he's like her handler basically okay and then you got cillian murphy playing an english or sorry an american um who i don't they get involved and she starts working for him he thinks um so it turns into this mini love triangle between her and luke evans and cillian murphy um all of who are uh, very good in the film, but um, yeah, so it's basically just hopping around as it watches. Like, but but there's also this backstory that we've alluded to, where she um, she was with this guy for a long time who was abusive to her, and she got out of, of that relationship, and it seems like that serves as a lot of her. Uh, you know, she, she basically she hasn't been in control of her own life for a very long time, if ever. Um, and that's sort of her search for the movie is to her freedom. She says freedom as many times as John Wick three uses the word fealty. Yeah, I knew you'd go there. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's it's funny because this is sort of the baseline of the plot and it's it's her just kind of bouncing between you know the KGB and the CIA and she's just killing all these people and killing them specifically so she can earn her own freedom and blah 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 but really by oversimplifying it we're glossing over just how dumb all of this is because you you cannot begin to wrap your head around how dumb it is so even it's like, wow, how did she become this unstoppable killing machine? And constantly people are like, no one has ever done this many jobs for the for the KGB. You're the ultimate killing machine. It's just like, you were an abused housewife who was part of a botched ATM robbery. <laughs> and then a KGB agent showed up and was just like, you should join KGB, become murderer. It will be good. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. Maybe I'll slit my wrist instead, oh, which yeah. is weird. Forgot about and that. then he's like, no, do not slit the wrist. Come with me. You're, you are good. We see that uh, you know how to play chess and uh, your dad was in military. You could be fine. Wait, wait, wait. wait. St- uh, stop for a second. I, like, uh, just unironically, that scene I thought was very good. <laughs> Except to cut in with, like, her, that, that fucking cheese dick, like, flashback to, to her parents in, like, a car smiling back at her and it's smashing oh, yeah. and, oh, yeah. they and I was both like, just yeah. turn around and like ah, I love my child and then they just run head first into a fucking semi it's truck. probably the best the, the best thing I've ever seen yeah but it is it's, it's pretty bad I think that but, but it's like the, the fact that they they just recruit her mm-hmm. for no reason and then they bring her in and then they're like well we did some training and so I guess we're just led to believe that she has like Lucy like powers where she just intrinsically has the ability to learn super fast and that's why she's a this good is another murderer? thing this is another thing but when, when I talk about uh, like that it's cool to see a filmmaker just like using his most base cinematic like desires and throwing them his, his penis yes no no I, I mean as an action <laughs> filmmaker somebody who like doesn't care for like pretense or pretext or whatever like do you have fun watching like a movie where like there's training to like oh I gotta show them learn this no nobody wants to watch that shit so what Basan does I'm just saying I'm just saying yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you I agree right. with you it's not like I wanted a fucking montage scene here I yeah. totally agree with you but the thing is is Luke Basan doesn't just say she's a killing machine accept that which I would be fine with accepting he's like 
no, here's how she got here. Here is this useless background information that you totally do not need for this movie to work. And the useless background information that he gives us, it doesn't like shed any light on who this character is. It's just like, right. why the fuck is this here? Well, some of it actively negates the, the thematic impact of the film. I'd say like it's, you could say that the, the snip, the scenes he shows us of this abusive relationship, this terrible, you know, time in her life is constructive. It's a time where she was subject to the whims of a man that's the ethos is spelled out in that scene by Luke Evans' character where he says, oh, never, never trust a man, trust yourself. And that is, for better or for worse, uh, the ethos of this film. Uh, but I don't know. They, they need to give her, like, oh, I don't need to hear about her happy childhood or stuff like that because the whole thing's like, I've never had a moment of freedom in my life. I, I can't think of any time where you know i had control of anything and i was free and it's like well then why do we have this idyllic childhood before the before the tragic semi yeah <laughs> that was probably yeah, fine that, that right? stuff doesn't make any sense to me i i don't understand it at all uh but it's just like yeah there, there's so much of this movie and it's weird too because some of the action sequences uh like there, there's this is featured heavily in the trailer but the uh the the first time she goes to assassinate someone there's this great fight slash shootout inside of a restaurant and it's really well choreographed it's super fun to watch that's the best scene in the movie for me right there by far so 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 good and you have things like that and then you just you look at all the connective tissue and it's just like why why are you doing so many weird things here and and also the fact that like luke Bassan wants us to believe that he's creating like empowered female characters and this is something that he is deeply passionate about mm. is the most hilarious shit ever because not only does like the text itself betray that but also you think about who he is as a person you're like why the when the fuck have you ever cared about a woman either in your movies or outside of them why is this your thing and the the casting too uh this lead uh sasha loose i'm guessing um I don't know how her name's pronounced, but nonetheless, the, the movie in the text of the film, th she plays a character who is, I mean, she's already been recruited by the KGB, but they, in the reality of the film, she's still being recruited by this modeling agency while she's wearing, dressed like a fucking babushka here and a ridiculous costuming. But nonetheless, they pick her out because of her beauty and they want to use her beauty to, to get something out of her. And, uh, so this lead actress is not an actress. She's just like a a model who has only been in two Luc Besson movies and nothing else. So it's just like, are you critiquing the fact that they're choosing to use this woman for her beauty and what they can get out of her? And aren't you doing the same thing? I mean, not to... <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, yes! You're doing that in reality, what you're critiquing in the film. And it's just like, what What the fuck, man? <laughs> it's goddamn insane. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand it. It's, uh, it's, it's completely fucking bonkers. I do want to go back to the restaurant scene because, um, uh, yes, it's very good, but, um, it, it's, it, it's, uh, so satisfying. She goes in to... She, she's given this gun by Helen Mirren to go into this restaurant bar thing to assassinate somebody and finds out that it is uh, 
not loaded at the most crucial point. She goes to shoot this person and then has yeah. to fight her way out of this restaurant without any uh, ammunition and ends up using like plates and parts of the bar. And it's just so inventive and like well choreographed. Um, and just like, yeah, just like one of the most, it's not just a good scene. Like it's one of the most satisfying like fight scenes I, I've seen in a long time in, in a contemporary uh, movie. What do you mean? We just saw John Wick 3. <laughs> Not enough dogs, man. Hey, Jake's on the podcast this time. He'll he'll go to bat for John Wick 3. That's right. I mean, this is so I just I just don't see the movie that you guys saw. Uh I will stand by John Wick 3 any day of the week. It's much simpler. There's no need to get into the <laughs> simpler. It is simpler. You have there's a so a scene will happen in Anna and then we'll cut back three years later to explain why that scene took place, and and just as far as the quality of the action goes, uh, it's so. Do you think there's Wick a day of the week? Do you think that there's a scene in in a fight scene in Wick Three that's better than that restaurant scene? I would say the knife fight tops the uh, restaurant fight. Sure. Um, I do, I do like three. the knife fight. I would, That's I would say the bo- even the Bobon fight I would I would like a bit more than the restaurant fight. Even the motorcycle chopping fight I really like. Um, I, I don't think I could agree just because it's so detached from anything. Like, It's not like this movie they stumble into a, a restaurant that has a thousand knives hanging out of the wall. It, it's like an actual physical place. That she's or there's like horses outside New York. Or, or, fucking yeah. s- hey, someone right, has see. never taken a carriage ride in Central Park and yeah. his name is Sean Don't Glitter. you remember the scene where uh, Kramer feeds the horse uh, beefarino or whatever it is? That's, yeah, I do the, remember that scene Kramer's that horse. <laughs> yes. There's horses in New York, just so you know. But, it's a um, stable that's like somewhere like feet away from Times Square. And then he where like does this. Where'd they put the horses? He does, he does the kick thing like three times. It's like we did it's, it. It's all excessive. I don't know. For me, I almost wish it was a flashback of John Wick so I knew what the fuck was happening in the goddamn movie when he's going to see the man in the desert <laughs> with his fucking tokens and whatnot. I, I Jesus also, Christ. Also, the thing, the thing that bothers me about the Wick movie is not to like pile on, but like the thing that keeps me detached is like it does seem to be like taking itself seriously. The more that audiences, like the more that it becomes a popular like event movie, it seems to be like just just drifting further and further away from its own original thesis and just becoming like this sort of self-serious thing. But, uh, Anna, you can't... It takes itself... Sorry, I'll let you finish your thought. I mean, you just can't... You can't... There's no point you could point to an Anna and be like, this is just taking itself too seriously. Which I enjoy. I think the Wick is... It takes the world that it's building serious enough that... But it has also a sort of uh, a playful quality to it where the the film and the audience are both having fun. Anna is like on this progressive mission... To, as for a woman to reclaim her agency in a world where such a thing doesn't exist and it's completely commits itself to this self-serious cause that the heroine is going through and and I think I think the uh, problem as far as length goes uh, Wick is like 10 minutes longer than Anna is as a movie yeah. but uh, Wick just moves along nice and briskly I mean there's maybe a few lulls in the desert but as far like by the end of the movie I was not tired at all I was 
perfectly thrilled and entertained and Anna I I I kept begging for it to end when we got to the last act and and Killian Murphy and uh, Luke Evans are holding guns on each other in the park and there's all these agents swarming the other sides and there's a there's a, a dead body switcheroo uh, it's it's just exhausting and it wasn't fun that's, Not for yeah. me. I, I was begging for one thing and one thing only. And Luke Besson delivered. I'm, I leaned over to Sean and said, uh, there's got to be one more flashback. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Gotta but, have hey, it. You know, that's, that's fantastic. You know, I want you to I want you to own this movie, Adam. I want scream it <laughs> yeah. from the rooftops. Yeah, tell it, everybody how much you love Luke Besson. <laughs> he's goddamn insane. This oh, is yeah. just—it's the most insane movie. I can't believe it exists. But to me, like if I—I I don't want to belabor the John Wick stuff too much. But what really like shown for me was like Helen Mirren's character, uh, and it's very easy to draw the parallel to uh, oh, blanking. Uh, who's the educated Dylan in John Wick Three? Educate Dylan. Hey, Allie, I, no, I think no, no, I think no, 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 no. Halle Berry. No, Halle Berry? no, no, no. Someone who, who is Helen Mirren's peer. <laughs> oh, uh, Angelica Houston. Uh, there you go, Angelica Houston. Oh, right, right, right. I love her where, in that movie. Where they both have this sort of, they're lending gravitas to these action films, and to me, Helen Mirren is having a blast, and nothing she's doing is belabored, and Angelica Houston. I don't know what the hell's going on. There's this whole pretentious ballet shit going on behind her. There's this thing where it's like he's turning in some obscure necklace and going on and on about, I'm turning in a mark. You can't turn in a mark. The the people don't want the mark. They'll kill me for the mark, 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 mark. And I'm like, (laughs) God, fucking damn it. Just stop. At one point, Mark Wahlberg showed up with like his underwear showing. It was weird. (laughs) <laughs> I I don't know. For me, like all the people who were lending this film gravitas, like Cillian Murphy is a blast in this movie. He's so fun. Um, I just he's got a, he's got some shades of aloha in him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is this shit? He's just like, yeah, grew up in Hawaii, lived there my whole oh, childhood. It's like the <laughs> fuck you did. <laughs> And why? This is another thing where it's just like he just puts that in there and you're like, you didn't even have to fucking say that. That didn't need to be there. It's just fucking weird. Speaking of the the Hawaii stuff, like that's kind of like there's a fun little like in game that that Luke creates with this movie, the editing, at least, because all their all there's time jump to the to the point where there's a rhythm to it Um, and uh, like an insane in rhythm. But um, when she goes on vacation and there's like literally like. 20 seconds and then it cuts out of vacation and then like by the time she starts to like do this stuff like she's doing a job whatever for um for Helen Mirren like in this hotel space like and stuff keeps cutting out right before you think like something else is going to happen and then like you just know that he's going to double back on it uh for me yeah I, I thought that that's the type of stuff that I that kept me in it for the whole two hours uh, well, you know, you want to talk about editing, um, and uh, Mr. Mr. Murphy from Hawaii. Uh, can we can we talk about the in excess? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the the in excess montage is fucking so great good. and over the top. But I, I want to talk about like the weird Tommy Wiseau sex scene when she's on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> That's like it's literally uh, it's like fucking shot for I shot. Tommy the, Wiseau. I'm talking about the four the poster f- bad thing. Yeah, with the flowing white like sheer curtains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
And she just walks in. She's just like, well, we probably can't have dinner, so why don't we just fuck? And Luke Besson's like, yes, you will fuck. I'm a, I just made him Russian. He's like, wee oui, wee, oui, you will fuck. I haven't seen uh, the room, but I have seen the disaster artists, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the uh, the two shot in the closet um, of the oh, camera yeah. just getting oppressively closer <laughs> until they're like these two titan faces it's squaring like off against each other. They're like, they're like nose to nose in the closet. Oh, that, that was a, that was a great broken like two minute shot too. Yeah, yeah. There's another there's, shot like that too, where there's like I think it's three of the KGB guys, and they're all standing like two inches apart from each other in like a semicircle. I'm like, why the fuck would you frame the shot like this? That's yeah, good. It's, 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 so there's things I like in the movie. I just think it all doesn't come together as well as I had hoped. But I was it doesn't hoping come for together at all, and that's why it's glorious. It's the most yeah. insane thing possible. <laughs> it's the worst, so it's the best. It's fair. But, I mean, some of it is, it's not, like, terribly made. I mean, some aspects of it, the construction of the no. script and the, the way it's edited is, is very bizarre. And, I also and like the, uh, we haven't talked about the, um, <clears throat> was it Terry Richardson? Is that the photographer's name? Um, well, oh, I. The LA, in, oh, yeah, you know, the in real popular, life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That he seems to be. Seems to be poking fun at in a very uh, ironic manner uh, because I swear it's Terry something. I think it's Terry Richardson. Yeah, it is Terry Richardson. Yeah, you're you're talking about like the, the shrill over the top photographers that yeah. she encounters on yeah. her shoots, right? Yeah, and and uh, that guy is is very um, flamboyant. As is this guy with like the aviator glasses and and just being like a huge prick and. Um, that's like where for me the first moments because it's pretty early on I think it's in that first 20 minutes um, where I think I could be wrong but uh, it's all blur with all these time warps but uh, um, where he starts to you know he has her like basically like punch this dude out and he's like a huge prick Um, but just like drawing that parallel to this famously me too guy uh, and just like sort of like Having him like get the shit beat out of him by by Luke Besson's own protagonist is is a bit. That's right. Her hmm. raw Yannick power that Luke Besson has bestowed upon her. Well, what if plus, what if what if next he just makes a complete like auto critique and it's like a, about a filmmaker piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. His, uh, how do you, how do you make an like an expensive stupid action film out of? I make movies and don't comb my hair. Here is my child bride. It's like his Manhattan. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's basically Manhattan, but I, I guess there's more gunfights. Probably be more fun. Uh, I uh, the the text of this movie. It's just so uh, through the various twists and turns, we basically learned that uh, Anna has been like the puppet master through this whole thing. Right. So uh, in reality. She's not being subjugated by women. She, through her feminine wiles, has, has been the one in control the whole time. Which, again, fucking troubling, Luke Besson. Uh, maybe not the narrative I'd go with in your shoes. But, uh, and, oh, man, it's just, it's also insane. And also... Was there a reason Why is she dressed her? in, like, a fucking garter belt the whole time? <laughs> it's just, it's all so much fetishistic nonsense. 
Well, it, it, I mean, it makes sense coming from the mind of Luke Besson because, you know, clearly he, he's talented as a filmmaker, but also he has the mind of a 12-year-old writing anime fan fiction with a raging erection. Uh, that's like, I, I he can't really get around that part. It's, yeah, oh boy. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, I, I guess my final thought on Anna is um, you sh- if, if, if you like genre cinema and you want something that's just real fucking stupid and real fucking weird and you saw Lucy already and you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen and then you want to know how it can get dumber, I would say uh, don't don't go and see Anna, but when a torrent pops up sooner rather than later, I would recommend stealing it from the internet. Oh, that doesn't go far enough. I'd recommend if you're interested in things that shouldn't exist and and you like <laughs> going to the theater to be like surprised and baffled by what you're viewing, go see this tomorrow. It, 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 to me, this is <laughs> this is a marvel. Like this movie is. Yeah, it's one I, of those rare things where I, I just I was slack jawed watching it. I'm like, oh, I think shit. even even I think added what adds to that. We saw it on uh, what a Saturday night. Um, yeah. Like there were other people in there. Like that's what I like. I kept like sort of having to break from my uh, extreme like reaction to the movie um, to like look around me and be like, holy shit, there's like 20 people in here at least or 30 people or whatever in this theater that are like watching this too. And it seemed like some of them were enjoying it as well. Or at least people were laughing. For, I want to know what they were thinking. No, me too. But I, I was just like, that's so crazy that, that we're like watching this thing first that it got distributed. It got distributed to this theater that again, never got high life. Um, and, that now we're we're watching this movie with these strangers that's so like totally like just incomprehensible and it's here uh, it's a weird like Myra said it's a bit of a marvel yeah it's it's really something uh Jesus I I my theater experience is great because I had to go to the the mall theater that I hate going to and it was on one of those like AMC mega screens that's not quite IMAX but it's just way too fucking big and you're just you know and I was the only person in the theater so just a- empty theater with me and the world's largest screen <laughs> <laughs> soaking in all that juicy basan baby uh, Jake how about you what do, what, do, what do you say should should people even bother with this one yeah I'd say uh, you know it's worth a look if you're already a fan of Basan, you should definitely seek it out <laughs> um <laughs> but if you're uh, a yeah, head, yeah. check it out. Yeah, if you if you hang out in the basement of Comet Pizza or whatever in DC, uh, this is your spot for sure. Exactly. Yeah, you you already know. I'd recommend probably torrenting and not going and seeing it in the theater. But uh, uh, yeah, we probably shouldn't you fund his future endeavors. But uh, that no, being I don't said, think we should fund him. That being said, <laughs> as much as maybe he's pay a for another movie and just go see it in the theater. As much as he's a scumbag, I really want to see what the fuck he's going to do next because Jesus Christ, it's getting outrageous, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I read the review by um, Noel, Mur- Noel Murray, uh, formerly of The Dissolve um, and AV Club, and uh, his his review was somewhat similar. Like, I mean, he liked it much like Myros and I did, um, but uh, he didn't talk as much about how batshit it was, but you know had fun with it but um and also had trouble with its message because of how much it's overshadowed by um 
the filmmakers present like it's just like uh, unavoidable but uh, he tweeted something about like I wish the most problematic directors would stop making good movies uh, it, it, it's it's true like do I do I want him to have access no he's making really good movies am I gonna be able to stop that I don't think so with these like insane domestic numbers it's like how much more futile can you feel um, as like the power of your wallet or at least that's how I feel but I mean, it's 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 weird because this is this this was the most fun I'd had in the theater in a long time. <laughs> oh Lord! All right, guys. Well, I think we need to wrap things up. So, uh, Miles, we'll start with you this week. What are you putting over? You know, I don't watch anything, Steve. But I, it it <laughs> strikes me that. Uh, I made a terrible error last episode by not putting over uh, the film we watched for our last episode of Cost of Content, Not Quite Lion Eyes, which is uh, the the greatest film. It's even better than uh, Anna. So <laughs> <laughs> great, great poll quote for the box there, Maros. So, good. yeah, Doug Phillips, uh, better auteur than Luke Besson and uh, not famous enough to be uh, publicly accused of problematic things. So you can watch his film instead. <laughs> That's a glowing recommendation. Uh, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Uh, uh, Myros earmuffs. Um, I'm putting over the hit anime series Neon Genesis Evangelion, which has just been added onto Netflix. Um, I watched the first episode uh, for the first time in a long time uh, today, and it uh, held up more than I could have ever imagined. Um, so if you want to see a show that uh, is essentially about uh, teens piloting kaijus to stop angels from destroying mankind and tackling, you know, loneliness and, and love and death and all that fun stuff, um, put it on. It's a masterpiece. Isn't there I, some... I have a question about that uh, real uh, quick. Go ahead. Where does it fall on the anime scale? Like, is it very like short and contained like cowboy bebop where it feels like reasonable for me to watch everything yes yeah, so or is it the, one of those like sprawling like dragon ball type things so there's 900 episodes i'm glad you asked it is very contained um the show originally ran for 26 episodes and uh the fans hated the last two episodes of the uh series so the creator went back and made a movie to give it a more proper uh epic ending so uh, yeah, it's a it's a twenty six episodes in a movie. Isn't there some weird yeah. shit with like what Netflix did with the, with the subtitles? Yeah, so like some of the subtitle, like the translations and some of the subtitles are not the best, and they've actually censored a lot of the uh, gay content, um, it, w which like a lot of it is what's made the show great, but a lot of it is just edited by Netflix for no particular reason at all but i mean the problem is that like unless you torrented this show is not available anywhere else the dvds have been long out of print for years so um it's at least nice to have a version of it uh, that's accessible to people as compromised as it might be so it's if you're curious why the hell no. am i paying crunchy roll all this money <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't I'm think it's on crunchy roll 70 dollars a month <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, watch the series, watch the movie. All right, Sean, how about you? What are you putting over? Uh, I'll stay on the sort of batshit train. I I went through a handful of JCVD films uh, over the weekend and um, watched Double Team, which I know I had seen parts of my childhood because it stars Dennis Rodman. 
Um, but seeing it as an adult on a new Blu-ray uh, was a whole lot of fun. Um, just it's uh, you know JCVD, Dennis Rodman, and Mickey Rourke duking it out with a tiger in between them. Um, and it's it's directed by uh, Hong Kong's Troy Hark, and he does some really fabulous stuff, like just action action sequences that um, you know contemporary films like just don't have like any sort of like uh, they would dream of being able to make the type of flamboyant explosions and shootouts and all this type of stuff. Um, Rodman is also a horrible actor, but uh, it's all part of the the fun. All right. Well, this week I'm putting over a little movie that uh, literally no one is watching, I don't think, uh, or at least up until recently. It's called Evil Town. And Evil Town was one of the secret releases from Vinegar Syndrome on their halfway to Black Friday sale thing that they ran back on Memorial Day. Uh, it is kind of like Anna in the sense that it's completely fucking bonkers. So <laughs> it it was a troubled 10-year-long production <laughs> for an, a basically no-budget horror movie. It started in 1975. It went through somewhere between three and five directors, depending on who you ask. But I'd put the number at about three and a half, at least as far as credited people go. Um, it is just real fucking stupid. And what it ended up being is it's actually two separate movies that were fused together to make one movie. But the first movie was clearly shot in the 1970s, and the second movie was clearly shot in the 1980s. So everything is fucking weird. None of it makes sense. The acting is terrible. None of these people are professionals, except for Dean Jagger, who is famous as being like the third or fourth build uh, movie and third or fourth build actor in every movie your grandma enjoyed from the 1940s and 50s, and. Uh, he is great because, uh, one, I think he's a good menacing doctor, and there's a lot of scenes where he just goes around being menacing and explaining his evil schemes to people, and I'm super into that. Two, uh, you know, his delivery is kind of weird, and you're like, why is he just sort of mumbling, and, and just there's things about him where you're like, I don't think Dean Jagger is okay, and... The answer to that is, well, Dean Jagger wasn't okay because he was like 85 years old when his scenes were shot, and he had recently had a stroke. <laughs> so he, I guess when he was on set, I, I listened to an interview with, the, with one of the directors, and he said that when he was shooting a, a scene with, with Dean Jagger, he, he had this like evil scientist monologue. And at some point in the evil scientist monologue, he just started doing his monologue from 12 o'clock high, which is like a World War II fighter pilot movie that he made in like 1944. And he just did that whole monologue and they just kept it in the movie because they thought it was weird. <laughs> so it is absolutely off the wall, fucking insane. Just it's one of those things that I, I can't believe that it even exists in any form at all totally nuts so evil town Steve, Check it let out. me say if you if you click on the imdb page for this uh, film that uh, the user review that pops up is is entitled saved by boobies uh yeah well there's it, there's some there's some boobies yeah um, uh, they, i'm gonna read just a, a, a sentence or two here what says the most interesting thing about evil town was most definitely the presence of breasts 
big, huge, bouncing breasts at that. I could not stop laughing when the woman is being chased through the forest, and as she runs, her boobs wobble up and down like a yo-yo. <laughs> uh, okay, that's what Steve's recommending. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, this yeah, there's <laughs> yeah, <Luke Passat. laughs> comically large boobs. Uh, yeah, it's it's something. Uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on. Just just a lot going on in Evil Town. Uh, but to my knowledge, none of the directors, which includes the guy that directed L.A. Confidential years later, uh, he was one of the directors on Evil Town. Curtis Hansen. Uh, yeah, Curtis Hansen, the man right. himself. Oh yeah, I forget that. Not quite Lion Eyes also deals prominently with the May-December relationships, so it could be right up Hassan's alley. Yeah, <laughs> there, there you go. See, there's, there's a lot of. I mean, not quite Lion Eyes. It's, it's basically a Hassan film. A, a young, successful, smart woman uh, who shacks up with a, a lecherous old man. That's perfect for him. Well, then it flips at the end too. Remember, yeah, yeah she that's then true. Dates, oh, spoilers. Uh, she yeah. dates yeah. the teen son at the, at the end of the film. So. It exactly. all comes full so. circle. See, the woman has the power, much like Anna had the power all along. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you at Evil Town, none of the women have any power, so that's that kind of doesn't fit, but oh well. Uh, all right, guys. Well, you know, if, if, you're, if you're listening to the show right now, make sure you click the link in the description. Head to our iTunes page. Please give us a five-star written review. Please, please, please. If you have not done it yet, it takes like two seconds. Really helps us out a lot. Makes us more visible. The more visible we are, more people that can listen. And the more people that listen, the more content that we can create for you guys. So that's super important. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at OptimismVaccine or email OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. And Byros will be diligently checking that, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, if you want to reach me on Twitter at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F. Jake, where can people find you on the internet? I'm at uh, Jake Tropila and all the things. Jake T-R-O-P-I-L-A And Sean, how about you? Uh, Mr. Gomez. Thanks, buddy. Alright, Jake, last word's yours. This podcast will do for ears what Psycho did for showers. <laughs> also, Anna's a palindrome. <laughs> Keep them both in. That's good. <laughs>